The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. A, a god who is responsible for essentially an infinite cosmos, you're going to have to use some imagination to think about this. And, and, and that's, that's a human gift. That's not a problem. You know? and, and people talk about sanctified imagination, which I think is a fine term, as long as you don't mean not too much imagination, just pull it back a little bit. It's, but it's more like trying to understand. It's using a, a, a precious part of our human faculties to try to connect with God. And uh, there's not only nothing wrong with it, I think it's actually not only inevitable, I think it's our responsibility to say, well, what if we think about it this way? You know, I, I sort of imagine it being like this. And, I, and, you know, that's very subjective, but theology is subjective. Life is subjective. It's not, it doesn't behave according to set rules. And again, that's something that maybe quantum physics can push us into a little bit, realizing that the way we see things may be... Uh, a parody of the way things actually are. And I think that's not only a good reminder thinking about the physical universe, I think it's a good idea thinking about God. Welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast. I'm your host, John Williamson. And we're back with an all-new series. Uh, hopefully, you enjoyed the the last one on grief, uh, the five weeks that we covered that topic. Uh, hopefully, it was helpful to you uh, if you if you listened. Um, back with a brand new series, though. So this is one that we've tackled before. In fact, we tackled this one right out of the gate back in 2016 because we felt, hey, we're we're a podcast about spirituality and leaving room for doubt and and questions and and wrestling with with your faith. And so we thought, we got to cover scripture early. And so we did. And we had some really cool guests on. Uh, one of our favorites, Dr. Tim Mackey. Um, gosh, I forget. I think we had Dr. Alexander Shia on. And all sorts of different guests. Uh, even more so when we revisited it a couple years later. So covered it before, but it's been a while. And there's all sorts of new exciting guests out there to come on and talk about the Bible and scripture and how do we read it through a, a modern lens? And how did the original early Christians understand these passages and these texts? And um, how was the Bible formed? You know, how did it come to be one bound volume? And so lots of fun questions out there that I have, uh, you know, kept, you know, putting together over the years uh, that we've gotten from you guys and uh, some great questions that I'm really excited or was really excited because by the time this comes out, I will have recorded everything already. So, um, so I had a lot of fun recording this series. I will say that. And so, uh, what better way to kick off the series, but to have a good friend of the pod back, the good doctor, Pete ends. And, uh, those of you, uh, who don't know Pete, uh, 
should go back and listen to our our older episodes with with Pete Enns, and also check out his podcast that he does with another friend of the pod, uh, his partner in crime, Jared Bias, who uh, also is doing great work over there at the Bible for Normal People. So the two of them host that podcast. One of our favorites um, have some incredible guests on, both great academics in their own right, uh, who bring just a different vibe to the conversation and um, have a lot of fun doing it. So you know. Kindred spirits for sure. And so fun to have Pete back on Pete. If you don't know him, uh, has his PhD from this, you know, this little obscure school called Harvard. Uh, he's the Abram S. Clemens professor of biblical studies at Eastern university in St. David's, Pennsylvania. He's written several books, uh, that I really enjoy. Uh, the Bible tells me so the sin of certainty and how the Bible actually works. And he has a new book out that I really enjoyed called curveball. When your faith takes turns you never saw coming, or how I stumbled and tripped my way to finding a bigger God, and uh, and you know, just a great book, uh, especially about this very thing that we're doing with our podcast that they're doing with their podcast. So, really cool book, a lot of fun to talk about, and a great way to kick off this new series. So, uh, this will be part one of two parts, and so uh, we'll get into it here shortly. Uh, before we get into that, though, uh, for all things deconstructionists. The one-stop shop is our website, www.thedeconstructionist.com. There, you can find all sorts of goodies. You can find our blog, and there should be a bunch of new blog posts on there. I've been writing a lot recently, very inspired by by things uh, that I've read, things going on. Uh, Also, links to our social media, uh, as well as links to our web store. So if you want a t-shirt or something fun, uh, we've got that there. We've also got links to our Patreon. Patreon has been completely revamped with new uh, packages, new levels, whatever they're called on there. Um, And the cool thing is Patreon is now offering international shipping. And so not something that we were able to do before. Um, As I think I've said on prior podcasts, historically, we've worked with a really great local printer, uh, who does all of our, um, all of our swag. And so, um, Patreon has offered a new option to, uh, to print and, and create the swag for the creator and ship it internationally. So if you're an international listener, you've always wanted something with our big dumb logo on it. Now you can have it. Um, it's available. So different packages that offer different options there, uh, still have the popular ones though, like the book club, um, any, one who subscribes to a $10 or more per month um, package deal or whatever uh, will have access, early access rather, to all new episodes. And so about a week before uh, part one, I will be posting up there um, the full unedited, uncut uh, version of the episode. So if you still like the full thing, the full hour long episode, uh, those will go up there early. Uh, also on there, early access to blog posts uh, as well as um, a big pile of photos that I found recently of all of our um, escapades over the past seven years. So some fun stuff on there, some behind the scenes stuff that we'll be posting on there before we post it to our Instagram or our TikTok. Uh, all sorts of fun stuff there. So if you like that, go check it out. Otherwise, thank you for listening. Please, if you uh, uh, if you think this might be helpful for a friend. Uh, please spread the word. And um, also, if you have time, please rate, review, and subscribe. That helps us get seen and, uh, and heard. So thank you very much. Without further ado, here is part one with Pete Freakin' Ends. Do you believe in hell? Because I am. 
All right. Welcome to the podcast. We bring back, uh, I think this is your third time on the podcast. So I feel like I need to start giving out these green jackets like they do for, uh, you know, the winners <laughs> of golf, you know? or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> the five timers club. <laughs> The, yeah, uh, right. the good Dr. Pete ends. <laughs> hey, thanks, Sean. Yeah, thanks for coming back. Um, always enjoy sure. what you have to bring to the table. And you've got a new book, and it's awesome. And it's uh, it's really kind of personal because it talks a lot about your own personal story and uh, your journey yeah. of faith uh, throughout and the things that, uh, as you put it, the curveballs you encountered. So talk about the inspiration behind this book and, and why you decided to write uh, on this particular topic. Well, I guess it's sort of crept up on me uh, over the years without realizing it, but it really does reflect things that I've probably been thinking about for a long time. But I, I think probably I can sort of remember the moment where I felt like I would want to write about this stuff. And I was sitting in uh, just in my house and reading something, and I didn't even know what it was, but it doesn't matter. But I just sort of put the book down, and I looked up, and I said, you know, quantum physics is weird. And and it's so weird that, I, you know, how, how does God fit into all this? You know, a universe that uh, at its most basic fundamental levels acts in ways that are impossible on, on the grand scale that we live on. And it just, it just got me thinking, you know, and, and the possibilities for thinking about God differently based on things like quantum physics and other things. So for me, it was an issue that I, 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 you know, I felt hopeful about, uh, but I just wanted to explore it more. And, you know, then the idea of a curveball came up and, and, you know, I like baseball. So that was sort of a natural analogy to use, but um, and then I started thinking about like, well, what has changed my theology over the years? How, like, I, it, it hasn't stayed the same, and it's basically the experiences that I've had. And that sounds really banal and obvious, but it's not obvious for a lot of people. And you know, working through your experiences and and how they affect how you think about God—that's, I think, a pretty universal phenomenon, even though. Many of us have been told that you should never, ever listen to your experiences for any reason whatsoever, because that's where sin resides. You just have to read the Bible straight or listen to your pastor. And, of course, I do those things not well at all. I just had to sort of explore <laughs> it on my own. So, that's yeah, that's pretty much where the inspiration came. Yeah, I like how your reaction was like, well, I'll just get a PhD in the subject and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't everybody? I mean, that's just the way you do this, right? So, right. Yeah, research it <laughs> to its fullest extent. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> you, have a, you have a quote that I love at the very, very beginning of the book, actually in the prologue, where you said, in my younger years, I largely accepted and absorbed the narrative of faith that had been written for me, thinking it to be my own. And I, I think this is so true for so many of us. Adam, uh, who used to do the podcast with me and I, um, he used to refer to this as uh, um, belief by proxy or an inherited yeah. faith, <laughs> you know, uh, which you, you kind of mentioned later, too. And I think a lot of us have this moment later in life where we suddenly have a moment of awakening and we're like, wait a minute, have I just been blindly following this without any critical thought or input? Um, and, and what do I truly believe or why do we believe these things? What's the history behind this? Yeah. And so talk about first, like, how were you raised, uh, in, in a religious sense and what kind of foundation was laid for you in terms of your inherited beliefs? 
Well, I mean, for my parents, uh, you know, thankfully, not much. Um, my parents were immigrants from Germany, which is not really accurate. My father was a German who grew up in Russia. My mother was a German whose ancestors grew up in Poland, but German. You know, that's just the way it is back there in the old world. And uh, so I was raised with, uh, you know, just the idea of God was never a problem or controversial to me. And I, including Jesus, I mean, I remember having thoughts about all this when I was literally three years old. And um, and, and they weren't oppressive thoughts. So I, I didn't have some of the baggage that some people do have growing up in certain homes. But I think, you know, I, I, I was, I wasn't really raised Lutheran, but we did occasionally go to a Lutheran church. And my sister and I were confirmed Lutheran when we were in junior high school. And that was, that was good. That was nice. But uh, I, I probably, my own real journey of faith didn't begin until later in high school. I had a conversion experience in a, in a Nazarene church. And I think that's where my inherited faith stuff began. It wasn't really so much my parents. It was then. And I talk about that a little bit in the book too. Um, and then, uh, you know, from there, moving on to uh, the, the Presbyterian world, I was part of the PCA, the Presbyterian Church in America, for a number of years, which is very liberating, you know, at one point in time, but then it it wasn't, you know, 20 years later. But um, so, yeah, I think that, that's the, the, the background there was, uh, I guess, uh, the this I want to put this gently because everyone has the same issue. I'm not trash talking my past or anything like that, but I think the 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 time when I started accumulating a belief system that later became a problem for me was probably after college and in in my twenties, and then uh, being a seminary student in. Um, you know, in a pretty conservative place, Westminster Seminary outside of Philadelphia. And I think that was the structure for my beliefs, which were helpful and 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 worked very well for a while until I started having certain experiences that, um, you know, made it difficult for me to sort of stay, you know, coloring within the lines. Hmm. Yeah. And I think, again, for a lot of our listeners, I think we have similar similar audiences. I would I would uh, uh, guess between a podcast and and I think yeah. a lot of those folks. The common thread is probably that a lot of folks, um, unlike us, I have a similar uh, story to, to to yours. Where I I didn't I don't have as much uh, spiritual religious trauma. I, I didn't have a traumatic kind of religious upbringing right. at all. Um, it was more so just my own curiosity. But a lot of people did and right. um, and, and various terms have become popular over the years and including the name of this podcast, you know, uh, which we kind of use kind of tongue in, tongue in cheek when we first started, but now it's become, uh, quite prevalent and, yeah. and, uh, just for the philosophy nerds out there, we know that's not what it means. <laughs> yeah. I've already calm down. We know, we know. Yeah. So many people on Twitter, so angry, you know, we're like, we know guys, we know what it, yeah. it doesn't mean that Jacques Derrida did not intend for it to be co-opted like that, but yeah. But, you know, and it's funny because uh, to me, the term really doesn't matter. Um, it, mm-hmm. If people find it useful in the sense that it, it puts a name to an experience that they're having, 
you can call it spiritual evolution or spiritual growth mm-hmm. or a spiritual journey, whatever you want to call it. I mean, we had the right. emergent uh, church movement of yeah. you know decades ago or whatever. But now we're, we're seeing a lot of people on the opposite side of the fence who are kind of coming out and there's a little backlash in terms right. of deconstruction. I've seen articles written about it and, and oh, yeah. bad poppy mu- musicians. So like, how do you put, how do you put those people's minds at ease when it comes to uh, this type of experience in, in the sense that it's a natural part of your spiritual evolution? Well, I mean, I'm not sure how much I can put people's minds at ease who haven't experienced this. And and I understand that. I mean, there was a time in my life where I would have thought, get your act together, you know, grow a pair, you know, <laughs> be a man about it, you know, that kind of thing. So I don't really expect them to. And, and, you know, I can say as much as I want to, listen, this is, you can even see this stuff happening in a way within the biblical tradition itself, and uh, it's it's natural, isn't it, to to realize our how, how our shortcomings in terms of how we understand God, because God is bigger and always out in front of us. But you know, the Bible oftentimes gets in the way of that, where the Bible is seen as uh, I, I use the term in the book a crisis prevention tool. It's it's there to give you the answers that you need. And that's, uh, you know, if someone is in that mentality, there's, there's really nothing that you can really do. It's, it's not something, let me explain to you logically why, you know, a disoriented faith, I like the term disorientation, why that's actually a normal part of the process as you're moving forward in this life of faith. If, if you don't feel it, you're not going to be made to feel it through like a logical argument. You just take out to a point where you wake up one morning and you just say, I got to be honest with myself. I, I, I'm, I've been sort of playing a game for a while here and I, I have some very serious questions. And, you know, I, I think people have to find their own way there and then the conversation can be had. It's just forcing them into it. It just doesn't work. And I don't want to. I have no interest in doing that. Yeah, you can't. You can't take someone's journey for them. You know. Right. Exactly. Right. You can't. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And uh, one of the things you talk about too at the beginning of the book that I that I love is um, it, pretty early on. It seems pretty apparent that you realized that um, the version of God that that you had been following was kind of this version of God that we tried to uh, uh, try to master or put into a box. And and you mentioned that when you started reading your approach is like study everything, read everything. And, and I identify with that <laughs> quite a bit. Um, but you started reading even like C.S. Lewis, the Chronicles of Narnia, one of my favorite series ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned that that book even had something to teach you in the sense that you realize that, uh, when you're talking about faith, faith requires imagination when we're talking mm-hmm. about the mystery of God. Um, and I think that's so true. Talk about, talk about that. Yeah, again, that's another one of the experience, imagination, intuition are three things that are just non-starters in certain iterations of the Christian faith. And I found them to be very, very important. And yeah, I, I picked up the idea from reading, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia was important to me because it was it it connected me with the Christian faith bypassing analysis. It just sort of hit me, and it it sort of incited my imagination. And you know, I've come across theologians that say, "Well, duh, obviously, if you're if you're talking about 
you know, a, a God who is responsible for essentially an infinite cosmos, you're going to have to use some imagination to think about this. And, and, and that's, that's a human gift. That's not a problem, you know, and, and people talk about sanctified imagination, which I think is a fine term, as long as you don't mean not too much imagination, just pull it back a little bit. It's, but it's more like trying to understand it's using a, a, a precious part of our human faculties to try to connect with God. And uh, there's not only nothing wrong with it, I think it's actually not only inevitable, I think it's our responsibility to say, well, what if we think about it this way? You know, I, I sort of imagine it being like this. And, I, and you know, that's very subjective, but theology is subjective. Life is subjective. It's not, it doesn't behave according to set rules. And again, that's something that maybe quantum physics can push us into a little bit, realizing that the way we see things may be uh, a parody of the way things actually are. And I think that's not only a good reminder thinking about the physical universe, I think it's a good idea thinking about God. Yeah, you t- I, I love where you kind of pull in science uh, in the book. Adam and I have always been huge fans. Uh, we, we had the pleasure of speaking with uh, Dr. Michio Kaku once, and I, mm-hmm. that was a highlight for me. But um, <clears throat> talking about quantum physics and, and things that, you know, it, we realize that there's so much we don't know about the universe. And you talk a lot about in the book – I think you do a great job of just putting things in perspective and you talk about light years and just how immense that is when we're talking about the distance between planets, the distance between galaxies and um, just how massive the universe is and how tiny we are in perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I look at these new images coming in from the James Webb telescope and I thought, you know, unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. It's God's paintbrush in, in, in action out there, you know? Yeah. And that should sober us a little bit, I think, in thinking about God. You know, if um, I mean, one of the things I keep repeating in the book is that if the creation is so mysterious, can we say any less about the Creator? And you know, even if we—I mean, I'm convinced—even if we understood every square inch of the universe, I still think we would not be approaching what it means to know God and to understand God. I think that's, you know, like the mystics say, this is a mystery, which means it's a mystery you keep entering into. It's not a mystery, oh, give up. It's more of a mystery, like you don't know everything. Hold your thoughts gently and keep moving, keep moving forward. And and yeah, I mean, not, not to get all preachy here, too too early in our podcast, but um, I do think that if we want to know God, uh, you know, very central to that is how we treat each other and and living in love, which is that's not mamby pamby. That's ex- that's excruciating. Please give me analysis any day, rather than loving my enemies. You know, and and so I think you know there are ways of moving forward which are very experiential, part of our emotional lives and not just our powers of analysis. And that's probably the thing that I've learned because, you know, I value that whole left brain thing. Um, and just, it's, it's how I'm wired, but it's, it's very inadequate. I mean, it's entirely inadequate for capturing the essence of this faith. And I think that involves more of us, again, like our intuition or imagination, um, 
and are just letting go of that need to be right all the time. Um, so for me, that's been a wonderful release, not for everybody. And I'm not forcing anybody to mimic, you know, my journey at all. I, I'm very clear about that in the book. I'm just, here's my stuff. Here's what I went through. Here's how it's affected how I think about God. Uh, and people can take it as, as, as they want to take it. But um, for me, that's, that's, this is my story pretty much. It's not really a memoir, but it could be. If I changed a few things, it might be a little bit. But um, again, I'm trying to lay it out there for people. So, you know, maybe some people will feel more heard by having somebody else articulate things that they're already thinking, you know, and, and, and it's authentic. This is where I'm coming from. Yeah. I think, I think for so many people, that's the comforting piece is knowing that they're not alone. You know, I yeah. think, I think that's such a big part of, of the process. Um, something you mentioned though, that, that I would love for you to expand on too is, is it, it seems like historically speaking, the, the version of kind of Christianity specifically in kind of the West has moved heavily uh, in terms of uh, weight, where, where we place weight on things, on on the Bible and solely the Bible, and it's kind of uh, moved the balance away from kind of the experiential side of things uh, solely into you just read the Bible and it's all there and that's all you need. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, from from a since you're a professor and know these things, uh, <laughs> so what what is the history on that? So early Christians, has it always kind of been slanted in that way, or or Historically speaking, like, uh, you know, was experience more heavily weighted, you know, in the, within the early Christians? Well, I, I mean, I think there have always been groups and opinions and movements and tendencies and things like that throughout the history of the church. Um, what I, where I sort of focus on with, with this topic is how most of the history of the church was very glad to acknowledge that there are different levels or ways of understanding the Bible. And I put it this way, I think they understood that, let's say, a more literal way of reading the text, which is very much prized in the post-Reformation world, the past 500 years. But for a thousand years and more before that, it was understood, yeah, well, there is a literal meaning and it's, it's important, but it's also the least interesting <laughs> when you want to really get into the meaning of the Bible and and what God has for you in the faith. So there are, you know, you as Christians, it's not just a literal reading of the text, but there's also, um, you know, a a a Christological reading of the text. So how how do you read this in light of Christ? And right away, when you do that, you're jumping away from a literal meaning of the text. And then it's like, okay, well, what does this have to do? with my life and the shape of my life and how do I live as a result of this? So that's another level. And then a fourth level was, okay, but what's the big picture? Where's all this going? What does this mean for the nature of reality and things like that? And those answers are not the same. You know, there there are four different perspectives, I guess, to come at Scripture, and that's called the fourfold method. There's something analogous to that in Judaism as well. It's really more the modern period where... Uh, you know, I, one way of putting it is that the the rise of the Reformation and the rejection of papal authority, so what you have is the Bible. But along with that, you have the rise of things like the scientific method. And you have people like Calvin, who was trained as a lawyer, right? And so you, you're, then you come down to 
just like there 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 are laws to govern the 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 stars and the planets and we figured those out and there's only one way of understanding that stuff and i think that's basically true i mean you either understand why the planets do what they do or you don't right it's not my my imagination might lead me to discover something that's objectively true but it's not my imagination it's not really that important there it's like there there's truth to it and that was sort of applied to the bible as well each text has one meaning and if you know have enough information you can discern what that one meaning of this passage is and so you have again john calvin who um didn't really think much of allegory for example he he actually said it was satanic Yet that's something the church had valued for a, a good bit of its existence, but because you know the 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 tide shifted right after the Reformation, it took some time. But and I think we're living in that, and 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 many Christians today owe their they owe their tradition to the Reformation, where certain things were put into place that I think are becoming questioned more and more now. But um, I, I think that's sort of how we, we got here. So when people say, well, no, uh, there's only one way, you know, one, one text, one interpretation, that's a legacy of the Reformation, influenced by science, and I would say actually by modernism, by modern ways of thinking, where analysis is everything. That's not a Christian invention. That's something that happened, I think, outside of Christianity that Christians sort of adopted. So um, it's a bit of a mess, but uh, many have said uh, that, uh, you know, Phyllis Stribble, for example, that um, every 500 years there's a paradigm shift. And, yes. and that, that paradigm shift was about 500 years ago. And, and maybe we're going through something today, too, that's, that's different, where people are just questioning some of those assertions that have been made. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I, I think it very much feels like we are in the midst of another type of reformation or uh, kind of upheaval that's probably needed. In, in, in well, yeah, of- and it's the upheaval is not the way it's characterized, caricatured rather, by let's say the hard right. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're just tickling itching ears, and you just want to be sexy, and you want to you know make money on YouTube or something like that. It's it's not something anybody really asks for. It just all of a sudden you just realize again for me this is deconstruction. Mm. You just something's not working. And and it's it's more a realization from the inside, inside the system and it's not, you know, an attack by evolutionists or something. It's or an attack by atheists or something. It's just in your own heart and soul it's not right. This this I'm seeing you know, John Caputo's big with this, and you know, what would Jesus deconstruct? And of course, he's channeling Derrida, but you know, that's that's the essence of this. It comes from a realization with inside the system that you're seeing the flaws and you're seeing the gaps, which all of our, including my own, all systems have these flaws, and that that's I, I've ne- I don't use the word deconstruction in the entire book. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even try to avoid it. It just never really came up. I just use other words, you know, but that's, you know, th- that's the heart of it. It's people realizing not, I want to rebel against God today. It's more, my inherited faith doesn't explain my reality. And I don't know what to do about that. So I'm going to, I'm going to push, I'm, I'm going to look, I'm going to search, which I think is the essence of the life of faith anyway, doing that sort of stuff. Yeah, I, I've I've told people often that um, 
if anything, I think when you go through an experience like that, you are probably at your most in level of invested in your faith. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Because good it means point. you care enough about it to, to actually investigate, as you said, kind of uh, take a look from the inside out and figure out like what isn't working. And how much of that though, do you think is a result of the fact that um, we, we kind of, uh, to quote Roar, kind of start out with this first grade level of understanding and we never really move past that until there's this moment that just kind of erupts from within right. later in life. Yeah, I, I think I, I I think that's true. And, and, you know, we have to generalize a little bit when we talk like this, but, you know, I, I teach college students at a Christian college and I see it and they talk about it that they were, their, their Christian training was all about, okay, listen, just stay calm. Just stay within this little circle that we've built for you and don't wander outside of it. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's baked into many of us that we just don't... Just exploring and being curious about your faith and re- overhauling things intentionally when need be that's discouraged and and uh, i mean quite literally demonized in some churches but what if this is the way of it what what if this is the way that you do this christianity thing and and again more and more people the, the internet's you know it's annoying at times but it's also yes. wonderful because People are seeing other people do that, and they're saying, that clicks with me, that connects with me. There are communities online. I mean, you have one. We have one on our podcast, too. There are communities of people who are like, I'm so glad that I have, I'm not crazy, right? I have someone to talk to. But you see, that comes from, okay, when, when I say some of the things that I say about the Bible or about God, and you know, I oftentimes get accused of you know, running other people's faith aground. And my response is always the same. Like, first of all, I hope I'm not doing that, but my suspicion isn't that I'm the one doing that. Is that they showed up already primed and ready for a faith crisis because of their inherited faith, which has given them uh, simple answers to difficult questions or just being told that a faithful person wouldn't ask that question. And I don't even understand that. I don't even understand what to do with a statement like that, other than just ignore it. Because it's, I, I, I can't imagine that God, who is mystery itself, is saying, you better figure this out quick. You know, you, you shouldn't, Pete, you're old enough, you shouldn't be having all these questions. You should, you should know this all by now. And the fact is that I don't. The older I get, the less I know. And I love that. I'm comforted by that. That I don't. The burden's not on me to um, <laughs> figure out the mysteries of the cosmos. And well, you don't have to, Pete. Just read the Bible. Don't you understand that that starts this whole problem? You know, this is this is where this is where one reason why we have the Bible for normal people. And we'll never, we have another podcast now, faith for normal people. We'll never stop the Bible for normal people because that's exactly where for many people, the deconstruction journey starts, not so much with the Bible, but how they've been told to handle the Bible or how they've been told to approach the Bible and the assumptions they make about the Bible. When you start reading it, 
you're seeing people within the Bible itself in a process that I think is very analogous to deconstruction. What they thought they knew, like, it doesn't make sense. We got to keep going. Job, Ecclesiastes, yeah. Lament Psalms, I can go on and on. You know, this is, we have, we have elements in the Bible that says, I know what they thought back then, but I, I can't, it, that makes no sense to me. That's, that's Job's essential argument. I get it. I know what, I know what your friends are saying, what, what the friends are saying, but he refuses to say, yeah, that inherited faith is a simple answer for my problem. It's a much more difficult uh, answer to this problem. And I think, again, I think that's beautiful if you, and it can be beautiful for other, for other people if they're not focused on, I have to get this right. Or, or, you know, I might miss a Bible verse that unlocks all of this stuff. And if I do miss it, God is going to be really, really, really mad with me. And I, and I, I, I can't imagine living that way. And I can't imagine that God is like that. Yeah, you have this great quote, too, in the book where you talk about, you get into uh, the, the part of the Bible where, where Jesus comes into play, and you even talk about that, you know, I am the way, the truth, the life. You know, it, you said, uh, I think it was something along the lines of, uh, uh, he didn't say uh, belief, it, it wasn't belief in me. Yeah, that, right. You know, um, and I think that's exactly right. The same Bible that, you know, folks use to instill kind of like, you know, these fear tactics um, and and shame and all these things. um, I I just don't feel like supports a God of that kind. I don't think it does either. The, um, the nagging thing though, there, even with that is the Bible itself, because you have, you know, you have transactional models of God in the scriptures. I'm going to say primarily in the Hebrew Bible, Mm -hmm. although that doesn't describe the entire Hebrew Bible, but I think it's there, you know, the, you know, I think Job's complaint, Job's friends are saying, dude, you're suffering. You must have done something to deserve that. And that's this retributional transactional God, which is part of, let's say, what's called the Deuteronomistic history, which is Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings. You see that. And other places, I think, in the Bible challenge that notion. But the fact is that it's there. And the fact that it's there is exactly what makes it so attractive to people. But that's why we're always looping back to that same question. Okay, I know the Bible talks like this, but what is the Bible? What is it there for? What does it mean to read it well? Does it mean we just latch on to this particular paradigm that we read in a portion of the Bible and say that's all there is to it? And that's why I like Walter Brueggemann, you know, because he talks about the the, um, the core testimony of the Hebrew Bible, which is Genesis through Second Kings, it's creation and Israel, and then resulting in exile, and there is a real transactional element to that. But then you have what he calls he uses the courtroom analogy, the counter testimony, which is those portions of the Bible that call into question the core testimony. In other words, it's not just retributional. This makes no sense. And also this retributional thing, like, why exactly is God mad at us for what exactly? And why are we in exile? I mean, Psalm 89 is a beautiful psalm to read where, um, you know, the psalmist is praising God for half the psalm about how 
how steadfast and faithful and what a great promise keeper Yahweh is. And he's almighty because he created everything. He just, he's, he's like buttering God up for like 30 verses or so. And then he gets to his point. He says, you know, and, and you made these promises to David that his, his dynasty will never end. Even if he does something wrong, you won't squash the dynasty. And then the, you know, the knife turns in the back, so to speak, and the psalmist goes, you know, can we talk about the exile here for a minute? Because it seems to us like you broke your promise. Because there is no Davidic king on the throne. The last Davidic king, he was blinded and his three sons were killed. That's Second Kings talks about that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it seems like that promise is now null and void. So what's up with that, oh Lord? You know, oh Lord, who's always faithful and <laughs> almighty, so you can do anything you want to, and you're faithful, and we're seeing a big break in the system here. That's the kind of stuff that I'm attracted to in the Bible, because it validates how our experience affects our theology. And that's, that's biblical. It's not every page of the Bible— but it doesn't matter. It's there. John was young and driven with a heart of gold. Finished seminary, married, found a church he Go. We didn't know you quit. 
Ne, 